Let us pray. Silence in us now on this beautiful day, O God, any word but your own. And speak to us again that message and vision of grace and truth and love. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. This is the concluding Sunday of our year of stewardship. Though don't worry, it's not the end of stewardship itself. And we've discovered such rich treasures in our 190th anniversary year that we are embracing a related theme for next year, a year of stories. But more on that in September. Stewardship, as I have said time after time after time, is about more than money, though it is about money as well. At a deeper level, stewardship is about caring for and investing and cultivating all of the gifts that a gracious and generous God so abundantly gives us. Money is such a gift. So is time, so are skills and abilities, so are relationships and stories and values. So is this place, this actual place and its history, and the ministry that gathers here and disperses to serve in the world. Last September on Rally Day, three of you shared what stewardship meant to you. Katie Orham said that stewardship is a way of being in the world and with the church. It is doing the best we can with what we have and always striving to know more so we can do better. It is taking care of our church and community for future generations. Greg Hamburger invited us to be a good steward of the abundance we share. Share not only whatever monetary resources are available to you, but share also your own personal abundance of energy and talent and time. Nancy Watson said that stewardship is a verb. Doing, learning, listening, feeling, all tangled together, giving, healing, building, planting, feeding, holding, comforting. What does that look like? How will we be stewards, caretakers, investors in all the abundant gifts God gives us so generously and graciously? How do we nurture generosity and abundance in a world that seeks to convince us of its scarcity? In the biblical letter called 2 Corinthians, from which Pam just read, the Apostle Paul writes to a new, small, struggling, conflicted church in the city of Corinth. Paul knows that they are facing difficulties and are quite discouraged. He encourages them, do not lose heart, do not lose heart. Even if people do not seem to respond to your ministry, keep at it. And then Paul reminds them that ultimately it's not about them. It is about God. It is about God which recalibrates their ministry in such a way that gives them confidence. It is about God and not us. And because it is about God, your efforts will never ever be in vain. 
And then this. We have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and not from us. Treasure in clay jars. Other versions of the Bible offer the translation earthen vessels rather than clay jars, and I've always liked that. Earthen vessels is a little more poetic while remaining accurate. While a jar holds something to be used, peanut butter, mayonnaise, or baby food, a vessel carries something to hold it for a season, to care for it. Earthen vessels, we are, you and me, all of us, and we have been given something to carry, a treasure. What does that look like? A few weeks back on the way to Ann's graduation, I exited off I-70 in Akron and visited the cemetery where my parents are buried. It had been a little while. When my grandmother, my dad's mother, died, my parents, though I think it was my mom's idea, decided to buy eight burial plots. It was an attempt at good stewardship, if not good mathematics. And years later, I finally broke it to her that the likelihood of me being buried in Akron, Ohio, was slim indeed. But in this section of the cemetery are all four of my grandparents and my parents and some other lovely parcels that we'd be willing to sell to you at a very reasonable rate. (laughs) It was raining softly when I arrived. And I paid homage to my grandparents and then made way to see Ken and Claudia. And though grief is always a present friend, I surprisingly and unexpectedly began weeping and weeping and weeping. And at some point, the tears and the raindrops became indistinguishable. I wasn't embarrassed by it at all. I was just caught a little bit off guard, so much so that I kind of actually started laughing at the situation. I told my parents how Kenneth was doing, that Ann was about to graduate, that we were all hanging in there. And I thanked them, which I always do. And then I told them that I loved them and missed them, and then got in the car out of the rain and drove on. Treasure in earthen vessels. My dad preached about stewardship in such a way that I still remember his stewardship sermons. In the face of hardship, he sought to proclaim the gospel as faithfully as he could. And my mom was a steward when she taught school, when she counseled students and families, when she served on presbytery committees, when she served on PEO and church committees. They were far from perfect. They were clay jars, remember. So while my cemetery tears were certainly about grief, I'm 100% sure they were about gratitude as well. 
In just the last few months at Third Church, we've been privileged to host a half dozen or more memorial services. They too have been outlets for grief and outlets for deep gratitude. They've also been outlets for community. With a special word of thanks to our deacons and a wonderful memorial service reception team for their unflagging, gracious hospitality. When families meet with me to plan for these services, they often say they want a celebration, which means, I think, that they want to avoid sadness. That can't be done, I usually say. Grief is a part of all of this. But they are always celebrations anyway, and always, because gratitude wins every time over grief. Life wins every time over death. And each of these memorial services reflected that. They were individually compelling, yes. And when taken collectively, became a continual witness to stewardship, to the power of whatever treasure it was that God had placed in each of those earthen vessels. Decades and decades of matrimony, decades and decades of parenthood, decades and decades of friendship, decades and decades of effective work, decades and decades of invaluable leadership here and in many places. Peter and I and all those in attendance and service after service heard about commitments to responding to domestic violence the environment, to peace and justice, to music and art, to housing and hunger. These friends left their fingerprints on the world, and they certainly left their fingerprints on the story of this congregation. They were many things, but on a day like today, they were most assuredly stewards They were fragile containers into which God poured mercy and grace and love and compassion. And they knew that rather than sealing it up tight, they were to share it with family and friends, with strangers, with their church, with the world, all to make a difference. Vessels who now have been returned to the earth, ashes to ashes, and whose good works continue to go before them. Biblical scholar David Fredrickson asks, what is the treasure? Is it the gospel and its ministry? What are earthen vessels, he asks? Are they the cheap and humble pots used for lowly and vulgar purposes, or does Paul wish to evoke the body's natural fragility? Brian Findlayson writes that it is an amazing fact, but true, that we bear the image of the living God, and yet we bear that image in an ineffective, limited, even compromised frame, and so have to admit to being constantly overcome by the circumstances of light, of life. Hard-pressed on every side, Paul writes, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, and And we are all those things. We are all those things. 
And yet Paul writes that despite that, our humanness, or rather I think because of that, our humanness, God has, in God's wisdom and love, created us, called us, to carry the good news, to hold for a season God's light, and to share it, you and me, us. What's so special about us? Well, nothing, until God has decided to make us special, calling us God's own and giving to us God's message, this treasure. Paul Sampley writes that treasure in earthen vessels is a powerful metaphor that recognizes the awesome trust God bestows upon each of us and at the same time honors our fragility as bearers of God's grace and might. The image allows us to celebrate the awesome blessing of life and joy and tribulation, limitation and difficulty because we are God's chosen vessels We do not need to build cathedrals or make pilgrimages to engage in extraordinary actions to prove our faith. Instead, Sampley writes, we simply need to live our lives each day in ways that love and honor one another. Annie Dillard writes, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. She says, there is no shortage of good days. It is good lives that are hard to come by. How we spend our days is how we live our lives. That is an affirmation of faith, and it is an invitation to stewardship. As is this. The poem I quoted last September, I'm sure you remember, the poem that has stayed with me in this year of stewardship, whereby Mary Oliver asks me and asks us, tell me, tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? The question is not whether, but how. How will we spend our days? What do you plan to do with that one wild and precious life? How will you be a steward of the treasure God has given you to be carried in a fragile, resilient, all-too-human, grace-filled earthen vessel? A year of stewardship may conclude, but a lifetime adventure of stewardship awaits. And that's our story, all to the glory of God. Amen.